purchase salvation by offering his body up on the cross for us. And we're forever grateful and thankful, Lord. Lord, we, we want to open your word and, and say, thus says the Lord, we pray that you would come and help. Um, let me be a mouthpiece, Lord. Um, remove me from the way, but speak to your people. Speak to us, Lord. And we want to be help in our faith, encouraged in our walk with you. All for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> Sorry. So today we're going to be in verse 14 through 16. And if you have the ESV, the title of this section is Jesus the Great High Priest. That is the title of my sermon as well. Um, and this section starts from 4, 14 until 5, 10. And it's, um, the, the author is comparing Jesus with Aaron. Uh, but today we're just going to focus on Jesus um, as a high priest. And next time we will do um, Aaron and uh, introduce the, the high priest in all their splendor. Um, I had that, but it was going to be too long, so I kind of split it a little bit. So can someone read really loud and clear uh, verses 14 to 16? Amen. This is a beautiful um, passage. Um, this passage has been so many times mentioned in prayer meetings, um, sermons have been preached on it. Um, as Christians, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help. Um, who is a Christian here um, who doesn't need help? Raise your hand. No, we all need help. We all need the Lord. We all need the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as a super Christian. Um, a super Christ, uh, Christian. I have met a guy one time. He's like, I don't want to be part of the church. I'm going to be a Christian by myself. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We need the uh, community, but also here, the Lord... Um, He's the one helping us. He's, he's the one who can um, go to in times of need. Verse 14 starts with, um, since then. These two little words uh, together, they have a vital truth. They bring a vital truth. Since 
then. Let's look first at then. If you have another um, translation, you might say therefore. This is our word therefore. It's connecting what is going to be said with what was said before. We know that. Um, so what did the author of Hebrews says before, say before that? It, it goes all the way back to chapter 2, really. But in the immediate context, um, it's what we saw last time. Strive to enter the rest of God. In verse 11... So in verse 11, the author of Hebrews was encouraging them, his audience, to strive to enter the rest of God by using the terrible experience of uh, the Israelites in the wilderness as an example not to repeat. So it's like, you see what they did under Moses? Don't do it. Um, so the author is already telling them a set of don't. Don't do this. Okay? I'm going to come to that in a few minutes. Um, so, this is really crucial. And why is this crucial? Because um, in the wilderness, the, they forfeited their promised land. They didn't enter uh, because of disobedience and unbelief. Um, they didn't enter the land of Canaan. In like manner, but with greater consequences, um, uh, the recipients of this letter can forfeit their true, spiritual, eternal um, promised land. They can forfeit um, eternity because of unbelief and disobedience. The author was warning them against the frightening danger of unbelief. If they want to go back and stop trusting the gospel, that is unbelief. And they will fall by the same sort of disobedience. And this application um, uh, is valid for us today and for every Christian of all time. If you do not repent of unbelief, nor take heed of the word of God, take heed to the word of God, you, you will perish like those who came from Egypt under Moses. Um, you will not enter the true rest of God. That's what we saw last time. And in verse 12, he talks about the word of God. There is a little nuance here. Um, back in chapter 2, the beginning of the chapter, he talks about, there is a warning he gave to his hearers um, to listen to the word of God. But here there is a little more to it. Um, he says in verse 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here, the word word is the idea of God's personal utterance. It's, he has weight as if God was really present. The word acts as God himself, so that the innermost thoughts, the... Um, the intentions of men and women are completely exposed, right? So he knows your thoughts. He, he, you're under scrutiny, and it's like the Lord knows you in and out. The Word is acting like God. Um, I don't remember who I was talking to last time. Um, one of your brothers 
or sister maybe, I don't know, um, mentioned this to me, and it makes sense. Um, he said, someone said, this part reminds them of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ, first is called the Word of God in John 1, right? So the Word of God. Second of all, in Revelation, we see that out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And third, we all going to give an account to him. Every knee will bow down. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We're going to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. So this part also can mean Jesus Christ. But it's the Word of God. It comes with the same um, attributes that God has. He scrutinizes, he sees through, understands the thoughts and intentions of men. So that was last time, and that was that is then, therefore. That's what he said. So it was an exhortation to enter the rest of God. That exhortation is bet- between a set of do's and don'ts. Or we can say the don'ts, they come first, and the do's is what we're going to see today. And we can say from chapter 3, verse 7, all the way to chapter 4, ver- verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, those are the don'ts, okay? And in between, we have the exhortation, and 14 to 16, they are the do's. So, don't do this, I exhort you, do this, okay? Like three part. Does that make sense? Um, verse 14 to 16, we have the call to draw near and enjoy freedom in Christ. Christian, we have freedom in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And we can draw near to him. That's the do. There is an encouragement to come near Christ. Um, sometimes when you have a set of don'ts like don't do this, don't do that. You, if, it feels um, burdensome. Like, you, you're like, did I fall today? Did I? You're always watching yourself. You're kind of uneasy. But when you know that there is freedom to come and to, there is, the fear is gone. Like, you, you, you have that freedom, that ease to come close to the throne of grace. That's what we're going to see. Um, John MacArthur said, and I'm kind of paraphrasing him here, he says, the author no longer pleading with them with the negatives, but also encouraging them with the positive. Um, so that is the therefore. So he's continuing this idea here um, to enter the rest and encouraging, and encouraging them to persevere until the end, knowing that they have a helper. And that helper had experienced everything they could possibly experience here on earth. But also... That helper is in heaven, in the abode of God, where God is. So that's how he's introducing this idea of high priest to them. Um, someone, he knows you, but also he's in the presence of God. He will intercede for you. So and that's, that's what a high priest does. Um, next week I'm going to have my little picture and show, you, show it to you, but now... Let's look at Jesus Christ being the great high priest. Um, some, something I want to note in passing here, um, verse 14 and 15, uh, they not, only, they only, uh, not only they speak about the priesthood of, of Jesus Christ, but you can also see all the major arguments about the superiority of Jesus Christ 
um, he made in the previous chapters, they, they kind of brought them back here again. Um, like if you read verse 14, since, he ha since we have a great high priest, back in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he kind of mentioned that. Jesus, the Son of God, he mentioned that in chapter 1. Um, he, didn't, um, he mentioned Jesus, God the Father, called Jesus the Son, God. And he says, my son, today I have begotten you. And in chapter 3, we have Jesus Christ is the son, of, is the son over the house of God. Moses was the servant, but Jesus is the son. So he kind of bring that here again. Um, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest again who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is back in chapter 2. We saw that. But one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he kind of summarized everything he's been talking about here. And then he's going to focus mainly on the priestly office of Jesus Christ. Okay, so remember I told you also that he used hence words, like hence, like he gave you a hint. He kind of mentioned the high priest, but he didn't develop it now. He's getting into the crux of, of the matter. So he does that sometimes, the author of Hebrews. He tell you something, but later on the, in the book, you will, like, he will like, expand on it more. So from chapter 4, 14 to 7, 28, there are basically three sections, you would say, he's going to develop on. The first one would be um, Jesus the high priest. The second one is the rebuke and warning against um, um, apostasy, you would say. And the last one, Jesus is a different kind of high priest. All this to show that he's a better priest than Aaron. So, since then, verse 14 again, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Since kind of refers to the statement he, he affirmed back in chapter 2 about Jesus Christ. Um, he said Jesus is a high priest in, chap in chapter 2 and chapter 3. The whole, the, in the Old Testament, the high priest represented the people before God. He would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people in the temple. It's, it's the main difference between a prophet and a, and a priest. The, prof, the prophet speaks from God to the people, but the high priest go to God on behalf of the people. It's, the direction is the opposite, opposite direction. So if you're a Christian living in the first century, um, at that time you were haunted by the, uh, by the Romans. You were per being persecuted for your faith. Um, in the Roman world, like when they would conquer a nation, they would um, legalize their, their religion. So Judaism was, was recognized by the Romans. But you have this new sprout. At first they were like, it, it might be the same thing, but Christianity became a sect, basically. And if you're a Christian, you are being persecuted. Um, you are rejected by your family. Um, you were rejected by your own culture when they were meeting on their grounds in homes, rented place, like we're meeting in a rented place, but they were doing that back then. 
Um, and your Lord Jesus Christ was executed on the cross like a criminal. Um, compared to what they have in the Jewish uh, religion, they have the high priest. Like when you, when you, we're going to see that next time when, when you look at the garment of the high priest. This is like full of jewelry and, and, and special um, um, pre- precious gems and stones and the, 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 the linen and fight. Like it's, it was like a royalty. Um, but they don't have that. They, their Lord was, was, was hang on a tree and um, they, they have to hide. So they, they don't have that. So for them, they, that now we don't have, they would think like now we don't have a high priest. But the author is reminding them, you do have a high priest. You do have a better high priest. So in, 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 in verse 14, he reminds them of four, actually four things. The first thing, Christian, they do have a high priest. The high priest is not on, on earth, but in heaven. Jesus is that high priest. Therefore, they should be encouraged. So that's, that's what the verse here, verse 14, he's telling them. So let's see. First, um, Christian, you do have a high priest. Actually, they have a great high priest. It's interesting to note that the Bible never called anyone else a great high priest. Aaron, any of his descendants, they were never called a great high priest. This is only for Jesus Christ. Jesus is a great high priest. That's point for us Christians. Um, um, there is this idea that um, the Jewish religion were superior because they have the high priest. We don't, uh, the Christians, they didn't have it. But Christians, they have the greatest. They have Jesus Christ, who is interceding on behalf of the people before God. He atoned for sins and so on and so forth. So um, he's telling them, don't lose, don't lose sight of that truth. You do have a high priest. He's not on earth. He's in heaven. That's the second part. The high priest is not on earth. He's in heaven. Um, they could relate to their high priest in the, in the Jewish religion. Um, but Christ is not physically on earth. So they, they, don't, they don't see that. But what promises we have in, in the Bible? The just um, shall live by faith and not by sight, right? Those are the promises they need to hold on to. Um, and um, so the author is saying, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. So how many heavens do we have? How many? One? No. Three. How many says more? I heard someone say it one time, seven heavens, because seven is the, we only have three, all right? So the same way, like on earth, um, the priests, they would go to like two, three stages. So they have the outer court in the temple, and they go to the holies, and then they go to the holies of holies. So same way, Jesus Christ, he went to the heaven, the first heaven, we, we, we can call it the, the sky or the atmosphere. He went through that. The clouds and birds, that's where they live, right? Um, then he went to the second heaven. They, they call it the interstellar. That's where we have the stars and the planet. And then he went to the third heaven, 
where God is. And who knows whoever, a man who've been to the third heaven? Paul, Paul. Let's read it. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, 2 to 4. If you have it, can you read it? Paradise, like he heard things, he cannot even tell them. We hear book, we hear people. They went like you know, they have near death experience. They went to heaven and they tell you, I saw this, I saw that, and they all they all inconsistent. Um, Paul says, I went to heaven. I can even tell you what I saw. He said the paradise of God. This word paradise is is a Greek word, but it was um, uh, it came from the uh, Babylonian, the per, the Persian. Um, it means a garden, a walled garden. Uh, my kids, they they, they studying um, ancient history of the ancient world, and um, I think that's what it, they studying. I should know. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So they they've been studying the hanging garden of the ancient world. Um, they said it was a structure that was like, well, it was built in Babylon. Babylon was flat, <clears throat> and the king Nebuchadnezzar built it for his wife. I've never like built a garden with flowers for my wife, but I can. That's why they call it paradise because it's a walled garden and it was private to the king. So basically, a paradise is private to the king, and no one can enter. So think of heaven; it's God's abode. That it's private to God; no one can enter unless like He gives you the access. And Jesus gave us that access. So it's the same idea, but it's beautiful. It, uh, the new heaven, new earth. And um, there is a garden, right, in heaven, in Revelation. So it's, it's going to be something, like Paul says, we, we cannot even fathom. But to tell you, like the high priest on earth, who we went through like three uh, different stages, uh, the, the outer court, the holies, and the holies of holies, Jesus Christ went to the uh, heaven, the sky, the... Uh, interstellar, and then the abode of God, like the priest. So, um, but the priest could enter once a year to the holies of holies, into the holies of holies, and that was on the day of atonement. Yes, in Leviticus 16, we read that. And this is this was a picture of the true reality that was happening in heaven. Um, Christ. He is right now in the presence of God forever. He didn't do it once, twice, like once a year, but he's right now, and he is interceding for us. So this is a truth that the Christian back then, they, they, they needed to grasp on that truth, um, knowing that Christ is right there interceding for us. If, if we sin, he's the advocate pleading our case before the Father. Um, and 
reminding, hey, I bled for him. He's my child. I bled for her. She's my daughter. Um, look at my nails, my scar. So that was um, the second idea. The Christian, they have a high priest, and he is in heaven, in the presence of God. And the third one, Jesus is that high priest. Um, Jesus, um, not only the author used um, this word, he, he, he used his name. He has passed through the heavens, Jesus. This is referring to his humanity. But also, he says, the Son of God, referring to his deity. So he's kind of combining. Jesus is a human, but also he's God. It's what we read in Timothy, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He's the mediator that, on one hand, holding God, God's hand, and on the other hand, holding men, men's hand and bringing them together, reconciling both parties. We are, we are at odds with God. We are enemies of God. But now, through Jesus Christ, the mediator, we have, um, we have been reconciled with God. Um, and in order for him to do that, we have to go back to chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So he, is, he was explaining why Jesus had to... Um, how he accomplished that uh, work of mediation. He has to become like us first so he can represent us before God. Um, Jesus is God. From eternity past to eternity future, he's God. And like Brother Tofik would ask children, who is God? God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body like us. So, a spirit cannot bleed. A spirit cannot die. So he had to become flesh. He has to be made like us, like us human. He became human. And that's what we celebrate this month, right? The birth of Christ. Christmas, if you're celebrating Christmas, of course. Um, so we remember that he came in the flesh so that he can be made like us. So he can represent us before God. He had to become the mediator between God and men. That is, there is a fancy word, the hypostatic union. Like It's like God, men together. It's a mystery. It's, the, it's a miracle, but God in the flesh. Jesus was 100% man, 100% God, and that's the only way he can bridge uh, that big chasm that existed between us and God. So he represents human, uh, us, before God. Fourthly, he says, in the, uh, he's telling them, therefore, because of all that, you should be encouraged. You can make it to the end. You can enter that rest by the fact that this is true. Uh, your high priest is in heaven. Then let your faith be strong. You should maintain your faith in him. This is an assurance for the believer that you know Christ is in heaven and one day you will be united with him. This is assurance for you and me today. The Jews, the high priest was on earth and they would die and they would replace them. And 
they were also sinful men. They needed to offer sacrifices for themselves. But Jesus Christ, which we're going to see, he's sinless. He is perfect. So he was encouraging them to persevere until the end. Maintain your faith in Jesus Christ. Blessed assurance. Um, now, if we hold fast, this, this, this portion, it's not talking about um, me trying to save myself or contributing to my salvation. Um, if we hold fast, it's this idea, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but knowing that God is the one working in you. Um, um, like I was saying earlier, like nobody is a super Christian, right? Um, if I wake up one day, try to do things on my, on, my, on my own, I fall flat on my face 100% of the time. I need the Lord. I need Him. We need Him. We need Him to push through, to, to press on, to continue the race. So it's, it's mainly um, holding on to our testimony. Do not shrink back before men when they ask us about the reason of our faith, right? Jesus said, and I think Brother Taufik touched on that, if you are ashamed of me on earth, I will be ashamed of you before my, fathers, before my father and the angels. Uh, so it's maintaining our testimony, maintaining um, our faith. Um, uh, we belong to Jesus Christ no matter what. So therefore, um, let's press on. Um, we are not saved by merely our own effort, right? By grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your doing. But like this equation, you are not saved by works, but you are saved unto work, right? You, you work after you got saved. Why? Because God prepared, the, prepared those work for you before the foundation of the world in Ephesians 2 verse 10. Um, so be encouraged to enter that rest, to continue because you have a helper. Jesus Christ is your high priest. He's in the presence of God. He's in heaven. Um, but let me add this little footnote. Um, Jesus, when he was on earth, he was not a priest. Would you agree? Yes. <laughs> because to be a priest on earth, you have to be from the Levites, yes. What tribe um, is Jesus part of? Judah. Judah. So he, he's, he was from the kingly um, lineage, uh, not the priestly lineage. So he wasn't a, a priest on earth. Um, he never needed to make any sacrifice. I think there was one time he had to make a sacrifice. It's when he told Peter to go catch a fish and take the gold piece out of his mouth and pay what was necessary for um, the, the temple tax. He needed to pay the tax. Um, so he told Peter, go pay for you and for myself. Um, it, but the... Say that again? Yeah. Uh, in a sense, yes, um, because it cost him. Sacrifice is something that costs you, right? Um, it's not the sacrifice in the sense that um, atoning for sin or anything like that. But it's like he had to pay for something. So it's um, when sometimes when you have to pay for something, it's like, mm, I don't want to pay. It's in that sense. Does that make sense? And you don't, she doesn't agree. She's like, no, 
right? It's okay. I feel like when I'm paying too much for something, it's, it's a sacrifice, right? But it's not a sacrifice in the sense that I'm appeasing God or I'm, I'm trying to be um, right with God like he was in the sacrificial system. But it was like duty. Let's say duty, right? It was his duty to pay the tax, the temple tax. You agree with that? All right. She's good with that. <laughs> All right. So he was not for, uh, part of the tribe of Levi. He was, uh, he was part of the tribe of Judah. Um, but he offered himself on the cross. That's when the, the, priest, uh, the, 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 the role of priesthood like, st- started. Because the priest, they would kill the animal in the outer court and then take the blood go inside and sprinkle the mercy seat and all that. So you can say that was the outer court for him, the cross. And then when he passed through the heavens, and now he's in the holies of holies, like the priest. So now he is our priest. So Jesus occupies like three offices, you can say. Um, When he came 2,000 plus years ago, he came as a prophet, right? He came proclaiming the word of God. That was the past. Now he's in heaven. He's interceding for us. He's the priest. And when he returns, he's going to return as the king. Okay? So he occupies all the offices. And the book is just um, showing Christ being glorious in, 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 in mainly in his priestly office, but in all of this. All right, verse 15 now. Um, wouldn't you say, though, Christ did offer a sacrifice because he offered himself? Yes. Yes, that's what I said. Like, um, he offered himself as a sacrifice. That's the start of um, him, uh, um, I would say, inaugurating um, his entrance as a priest. And then now he's ascended to heaven, interceding for us, and he's actively doing that, interceding for us at the right hand of God. So if I didn't make that clear, but yeah. He also celebrated Passover. He celebrated pa- Passover. He also died on Passover. Um, Which requires a lamb. Yeah. But you would eat that lamb, right? Yeah. Usually the sacrifice, you. you the priest, you give it to, to, to the priest and they have to go and sprinkle the, the blood. And also, I was thinking about this one. I didn't want to mention it. Um, when he was born, Mary went to the temple and offered the, the sacrifice, the turtle dove. But it was mainly uh, for the, they call them the uh, cleansing r- ritual. It's like, you know, women, when you give birth, you have 45 days or I don't know how many days. I'm, 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 you have a, a, a few months before you can come back to church, you know. like So a few days, maybe. So it's like they have to wait for that time. And at the end of that time, they offer sacrifice. But that was for the mom. Other than that, I don't think of any other sacrifice. Um, Now, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So even though Jesus is as the son of God and high priest, he's in heaven with God, 
don't think he's too far from you. Don't think he's too far from us um, and he cannot relate to us. That doesn't mean he cannot relate to, our, um, to us in our problems, our sufferings, our failures. I said already, he's in heaven, but he relates to us. And as a man, he was genuinely te- tested, right? Tempted um, in the wilderness by the devil himself. He demonstrated the limits of humanity. He was hungry. He was tired. He was chased from place to place. They were trying to stone him, and he had to go through the crowd and sleep through their hand. Um, he, he, he thirsted. He felt pain. But also, since he understands the mercy of God because he is God, um, we can approach him with confidence because he understands us, but also he understands God. You would say he's God, but um, as a man, as he is um, on our side and on the other side, on the side of God as well. So we can approach God with confidence if we come in the name of Jesus. That's why we, when we pray in the name of Jesus, it's not a formula that you need to repeat, but you know that you don't come to God on your own merit. You come through Jesus Christ because he died on the cross. He purchased salvation for us. He, he appeased the wrath of God for us. He offered propitiation for us and atonement for us. So you can tell him anything. You can come to him and you will find mercy and grace. You will find help when you need it. And he said to come boldly. Now, I remember in my younger years, I had a problem with that word, um, um, boldly. Uh, and in, so I put the word in French and in Creole um, here to remind me of the, the old days. In French, it's hard, yes. It's kind of soft. But in Creole, hard, yes. It's like there is like a Haitian, we like press words and we like strong and if my mom were ever to call me radies, it's like I cannot cross the street across, I cannot cross the street so that my neighbor can see me. And if people in the street like they see me, like I would have to be head down ashamed because it's like you have a blunt face. You, you. Um, sometimes we, my my kids when they call you fresh, you in someone, you in someone's face, and you you brazen like that's the word. But you bold and with no shame. And that's, when I first heard the verse, I'm like, with, heart, with, with, with boldness? But when, when, when you study the word, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I have the Greek word here. It's uh, paresia. Basically, it was uh, a privilege, the, uh, the Greek, they had to speak freely. Um, and they, they, they prize themselves in that. It's like, I have freedom of speech. That reminds me of our first, command, first amendment, right? Freedom of speech. We can freely speak. So um, I think they, 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 the Greek, they had this freedom of speech. That I think they, they figured it out first before we did. Um, but So the verse is like, 
if we can read it another way, it would be like, um, come with great freedom, freedom uh, before the throne of grace. That means we can speak freely to Jesus Christ. We can tell him things that you, would, you wouldn't dare to tell someone else. I can tell him things that I wouldn't tell you. You can tell him things that you wouldn't tell me. Um, and he would not, he would understand because he was a man like you. He was a man, um, he understands. You can be free and open. Lord, have, I'm talking to you. I'm distracted. I have this temptation. And he knows and he understands. Hey, he can send the help right away. Um, it's not being buddy-buddy with the Lord. Sometimes my kids, they're praying for the food, and like they um, they being, you know, funny and casual. And I tell them, God is his God. You need to show respect and reverence. It's not being buddy-buddy with God, but there is the fear is gone. You can come to him and speak freely, um, but with reverence. I came from a culture where um, they, people, they pray. There are two ways they pray. One, I'm okay with it. The other one, not so much. Uh, the first thing, like Haitians, sometimes they pray like all together at once and everybody's raising their voice. That was a big shock for Boya Taufik when, when we went to Haiti. It's like, it, it's, it, it can be confusing. Um, my sister-in-law was telling me, she was praying with a friend at work and it's like, hey, let's pray um, and they started praying together. And she was like, hey, 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 sister, please, that is confusing me. Let me pray first. Then you pray. But Haitian, they do it like they make it easy. Everybody, like a big noise, but everybody is like so focused on. I, I know the Lord can hear each prayer. The Lord is not limited, but I, I'm kind of okay with that. But there's a second style. Like, first of all, the person changed their voice. Like they have this rasp, deep, deep voice. And then they have to gasp for air. Every word, Lord, you know, like this, it's like, and they think by doing this, like they, they being bold, but, um, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't think this is the, the good way. You know, Jesus, kind of the same idea in Matthew 6, when Jesus says like, people repeating words, uh, vain words, uh, the, the actual Greek word, is bata, bata, bata. It's like you're repeating words that, are, that doesn't make sense. Um, uh, boldness is being free, uh, being um, no constraint, but with reverence. Be yourself. Um, you don't have to. Um, sometimes I pray, um, you know, um, I want to impress. If we pray, pray in, in corporate prayer, I want to impress my brothers and sisters. The Lord, it's like he knows I'm faking. So he, he won't even listen to that prayer. And have, have been other places when people are praying like that, uh, other, uh, offering flattery words to the Lord, but the Lord is not impressed. He knows you. He knows the deep side of your thoughts and heart. Be open and simple and free with the Lord. Um, draw near the throne of grace. Um, the throne of grace. Um, the throne of grace means for the Christian assurance, security. Um, but the unbeliever is a throne of judgment, a throne of wrath. 
um, that we may receive mercy. Can someone tell me the difference be- between grace and mercy? It's, they kind of define the same way, but not quite. Exactly. It's the one is the negative side of it. One is the positive side of it. You would say, right? Um, I broke my mom's uh, frame. Uh, the the wedding picture is on the frame, and I was playing in a ball. I break it. I'm like, oh, I'm, I deserve a whipping. She came to me. She looked at me. I forgive you. She didn't treat me the way I was supposed to be treated. She she showed me mercy. I don't know, I, I fell in school, I, I, I didn't have the grades, and I came home, she gave me ice, ice cream. I didn't deserve that. That's grace. Um, but we need both of them. They are both um, in our salvation. Let's read Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, um, and then Titus 3, 5. Say that again. Ephesians 2, um, 8 to 10. And Titus 3, 5. You should know it by heart. Uh, I should know it by heart, but... That is three five. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We receive both grace and mercy through God um, in our redemption. So we need both. Sometimes you would do something and you deserve the, the punishment of God. And yet in Hebrews he says like sometimes he punishes, he, he disciplines us. Um, but he just give look on us with favor. And 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 that just draws us nearer to him. Um, um, so in closing, we can say this uh, on account of the great high priest who interested on our behalf and sympathizes with our weakness. The author of Hebrews exhorts every Christian to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Jesus is sinless. He was under pressure. We never gave in. We, when we're under pressure, we give in. We sin. He was tempted in every way, but not once he sinned. We can draw near the throne of grace, the throne of, the throne of God. For those who are in Christ, God's throne is a grace 
to help them in times of need. Even in our weakness, we can approach the throne of God with confidence because we know that God has fully and definitely put our sin away in Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest. However, for those who are not in Jesus Christ, God's throne is a throne of terrible judgment. At His throne, those who cry and they don't have their faith in Jesus Christ, they will receive the full penalty of their sins. Those who reject Christ, the throne of grace is the throne of wrath. Um, the author of Hebrews says, um, the throne of grace is a place where the Christian can come and have fellowship with the Father. And in the face of every situation, you don't have to waver. You don't have to worry um, because you have grace and mercy. Um, your sins have been covered. Christ understands you and He is God. He understands both men and both uh, God. We have a great high priest. He passed through the heavens. He atoned for sin. He's interceding for us before the Father. He can identify with us because um, he experienced everything we can possibly experience on earth. He was tempted. Not one time he sinned. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. He's our high priest. He stands before God on our behalf. Um, and one day we'll be in his presence for all eternity. If you're a Christian, that's assurance. That's uh, pleasure. But if you're not a Christian, this is a terrible news. And the throne of God is a throne of judgment. So next week I will be <clears throat> looking in Aaron being um, um, the... I said next week. Ne next time. <laughs> Maybe next week. Um, Aaron and um, how now chapter 5, verse 1, we kind of enter into that comparison between Aaron and Jesus Christ and showing that Jesus is a greater uh, priest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the atoning work of Christ. He is um, our dear Lord and Savior. He paid the price on the cross for us so that we can have fellowship with you, so that we can be encouraged in our walk on earth no matter what come our way, Lord. We trust in you. We trust in him. We thank you for all these promises. Let us hold fast to those promises, Lord, and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.